we are um, concluding the lesson here on uh, this uh, quarter, I guess you would say. And um, I know colleges now, a lot of them have moved from quarter systems to, to um, um, semester systems. So you want to call it a new semester. Um, and uh, we do have a number of people that's missing here this morning. And uh, we're missing Brother Adam. And I don't know if Sister Tanya's with him. They're taking care of the services over in Eufaula. Uh, for Brother uh, Owens, and then Brother Justin and his family are in Andalusia. Uh, they're taking care of the church over there for Brother Watson. Brother Watson has uh, had a little bout with an infection, spent about 10 days in the hospital over in in, uh, in Enterprise, and uh, <clears throat> but he's not quite up to par yet, so we thank the Lord that these uh, men can go over and help uh, these churches and then we've got a number of people that are out sick and uh, we'll be letting you know about some of those in the prayer request here uh, this morning. But uh, let's start in this lesson, the title of the lesson is from Cana uh, to Capernaum and I want to start in John chapter 4 and begin there in verse 43 and I'm going to read the whole uh, text of the of the lesson here this morning, and then the key verse uh, is there in verse fifty. Uh, but let's look here in verse forty three. The Bible says there. Now, after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. And then, when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. For they also went unto the feast. And so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and he besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. And Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and, and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. And then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And himself believed and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come into or out of Judea uh, into Galilee. And uh, so, so this uh, lesson here today in, of course, verse 50, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went uh, his way. And uh, <clears throat> so this lesson here this morning, uh, I want to just kind of maybe, and Brother Patterson, I think Brother Wells also as well, uh, have kind of been uh, giving us a little bit of uh, some background information about uh, the Gospel of John. And so I'm going to kind of continue in that trend uh, that they have, have uh, gone in. And I, I want to... Uh, just point out to you here this morning that there are some things ab about uh, John's gospel uh, that makes it a little bit different uh, from Matthew and Mark and from Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, are considered what are called uh, the synoptic gospels. And what they do is they give us a story 
sort of a kind of a, um, unfolding various things about how that, of course, the miracles, the uh, sermons, the parables that the Lord taught, and just some of the general comings and goings, you find those details uh, in Matthew, Mark, and then in Luke. John is a little bit different in the fact that John uh, wrote his gospel somewhere around 85 A.D. Now, if you think for a moment and you think about when Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written, uh, they were all written sometime, uh, I would say, <coughs> somewhere in around the 40s uh, or even into the 50s of A.D. This was after, of course, the Lord had had uh, passed away, or had rather been crucified, and then had been resurrected. I want to make sure I clarify that. The Lord uh, did not pass away, and he's not still in a grave, uh, as we know that, that people do here uh, this day. And the, and the matter of the resurrection, again, <clears throat> a very remarkable fact. It gives us great encouragement and uh, consolation to know that death uh, has has been defeated, and uh, and so it is that these men wrote these gospels uh, after the ascension of the Lord, and then it would be almost what's that forty years, forty five years later, uh, that John comes along and writes his gospel. Now the matter of the gospel of John is this is very highly doctrinal in its content. So when you start reading through uh, <clears throat> the gospel of John. And there are things where that it begins to leap out at you. And one of the things that you find in the Gospel of John are, are, are the matters of, of what we call the I Ams. That is the matter where that the Lord begins to tell us uh, who He is and what He is about. And, and I want to, I could kind of maybe bump you in a direction. That's a little homework. You ought to look at that and see about the I am's in the gospel uh, of John. And, and then as you find out what those I am's are, and then it's that matter of just saying that we're just going to pray those things that the Lord would put those things in uh, to every one of our hearts and lives. So somewhere around 80, 85 A.D., is whenever the Gospel of John was written. And then you move forward about 10 years, there's another event that takes place in John's life, somewhere uh, 93, 94, 95. John gets in trouble. And John ends up on an island. It's really kind of a, a prison island. We could maybe think about that it would be similar to Alcatraz. And he gets dumped off on this island uh, and that is the place called Patmos. That's where that John uh, receives his revelation. Now, I want you to know that, again, it's not the revelation of John, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That whenever John begins to express that he gets this vision, he gets this, this matter where that he begins to see things that the Lord unfolds to him, and uh, those events are really what we would consider and understand as prophetic. And uh, again, if you're paying attention, you may not be, uh, but, but just pay attention again to what's taking place over in uh, Europe right now. And it's kind of off the radar what's going on with Ukraine. Uh, but I don't know whether you're aware of it or not, but Ukraine is about to surrender. And that means that Russia is going to take take over, and, and so what does that have to do with us? I believe Ezekiel 38, 39 is that now that you're seeing the advancement of these nations and everything is moving into place, that doesn't mean that it's going to take place tomorrow, but what that does mean is exactly like in the book of Daniel about how that Daniel presents all these prophetic things that are taking place, that all of these things are basically falling in to place as a jigsaw puzzle where that we begin to see these prophetic times are taking place. And so John ends up uh, there at Patmos. Now, all of the other disciples at that point, apostles, the original 12, of course, Judas committed suicide. He was replaced 
and yet all of these other men are now dead. Uh, even the apostle Paul has been dead somewhere around 30 years or so. And John is the lone survivor of all of those matters. Now again, you've heard the stories about what took place with John. And uh, every time you go to McDonald's, uh, or every time, generally that's the place where I see it, is they're over there frying french fries. And uh, I don't think about it every time I go in there, but I do have thought about it periodically in the past, is that they tried to boil John in a pot of boiling oil. Now you think about that. You think about them heating that pot of oil up and then dropping him down inside of that, basically uh, to, try to try to fry him. And, and yet he survived that. He was the only apostle that ended up dying a natural death. And so, so John's life begins to unfold in that. And so the, the, the miracle that we read about here uh, in John chapter 4, again, is identified. And he, he tells us that this, again, is the second miracle that is taking place. The first one. Uh, is the wedding feast at Cana, uh, where the, the water was turned into wine, and so Jesus moves, works, and goes into that area, and now we come to this second miracle where that the Lord heals uh, this noble man's uh, son, and um, it it is in it takes place in and around uh, Galilee. And that, that kind of, again, is important as far as the geography goes. And that means that it was in the northern part of Israel. And right now, if you have, you hear about Hezbollah that's attacking uh, from the north, that is up in the Galilean area where uh, that the Sea of Galilee is at. So it's up in the northern part of Israel. And so in John chapter 2, the water's turned to wine. John chapter 4, uh, the noble man's son is healed. And then in John chapter 6, you find uh, the third miracle, and that is where the, the Lord feeds the multitude. And uh, we, we've, we've talked and mentioned uh, about that, that there were things that after the miracle took place, then the Lord said, you know, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part uh, in my kingdom. And, and his disciples and those people that were around, they looked at that. And you remember what they said? This, this is a hard saying. And uh, there was a lot of people that walked away uh, there in that uh, John uh, chapter 6. But, but when you look at what is taking place, now you kind of, again, I want to kind of get in your mind a little bit of the geography, and that's this is all taking place up in the north, and then down in the south, uh, near Jerusalem, in that region around what's called Judea, um, and in that area, kind of interchangeable. John, in chapter 5, he talks about there is a miracle that takes place there. Uh, this man is laying by the pool of Bethesda. You say, well, why are you moving back and forth is again is that we know from scripture that Jesus took three trips uh, to the Passover if you back up in your Bible there and look in John chapter 2 and I want you to look at verse uh, 13 uh, the Bible says there in John chapter 2 and verse 13 it says and the Jews Passover was at hand and Jesus went up uh, to Jerusalem so now I want you to think about this for a moment. The Lord took several trips. In fact, there were three times where that the Lord went down uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover during that uh, area or during that particular period of time. Now you say, well, why, why, what does that matter? Uh, it's because they generally were riding or walking. And yet think about this. It was a six-month experience for the Lord to go from Galilee, Nazareth, move all the way south and go down and stay there in Jerusalem. Now, it was not like, obviously, uh, we used to have to call on the phone and make reservations and, and uh, you got to call days in or whatever. 
and get reservations if you're going to go and you, you try to get that worked out a few months in advance and then you go and, and you get there and they check you in and, and all those various sorts of things. But now you just get in the car and most of the time we don't even think about reservations. If you've got the Priceline app or if you've got Expedia or something like that, you just get on there and you start shopping around and uh, sometimes you can land a pretty good deal and you can stay in a high-end uh, hotel, especially if you're booking it late at night because they're trying to get people in those rooms. They'd rather have somebody pay $50 uh, than to just let that room just sit there all night long. So if you do that late, well, Jesus couldn't do that. He had to spend, he had to spend the night in various places. In fact, the Scriptures tells us that his recommend or his words were these that uh, the foxes they have their holes and the birds they have their nests but the son of man does not have anywhere to lay his head so he was solely dependent on those people that were around him to be able to let him to spend the night with them or sometimes just rough it and uh, they would have to camp out there up under the stars. And so I think sometimes that whenever uh, we start looking uh, at the life of the Lord, we, we get this concept that, that everything was just so easy and remarkable and just whatever. But can you, can you imagine? I like camping out for one night. Uh, I've been on some camping trips here with power supply in the past and and uh, you, you get up in the morning and you smell like wood smoke and you slept in a tent and until we figured out how to take air mattresses, you're sleeping on the ground in a sleeping bag. That's not what I think of. And then you get up in the morning and uh, trying to find somewhere to brush your teeth and, and all that sort of thing. And it's just, it's just not, you know, now, I know some people, they camp out in fifth wheels, and if you really got a lot of money, you can use one of, them, one of those big bluebirds that cost $400,000 or so, but that's generally out of my price range. And yet Jesus did not have any of that. It's on the ground. It's a, it's a, it's a pallet. It's, it's maybe just something to to be there just for the, for the night. There's no fans. There's no uh, comfort, creature comforts that, that we have. And yet, 18 months of the Lord's life was spent traveling back and forth. And yet, the profound impact that he made on this world uh, was, was at uh, that part. Now, if you have your Bibles, look there uh, in verse... Uh, it says in verse 43, Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. And then verse 44, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Now when you look at what that matter is, is that here is God incarnate. He is literally God in flesh. And yet they don't recognize him. He's just Mary and Joseph's boy. He's just a carpenter's son. He, oh, he's just an itinerant carpenter. He's just a, a guy that has, has managed as an itinerant preacher. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 57. Here is what Matthew writes. He said that they took offense at him. Uh, a prophet is not without honor in his hometown or in his household. Mark chapter 6 and verse 4 adds the matter of his relatives. Luke chapter 4 and verse 24 uh, tells us that he was not accepted in his, home, in his own hometown. And think about this matter as well, that even his brothers were not converted until after the ascension of and the resurrection took place in the. They, they just thought, uh, oh, he's crazy. Our brother's crazy. He's a he's a nut. He's a weirdo. He's an odd guy. We know he's got a following, 
but he's a weird guy. He's just different. And, and I think that there's some lament out of James and also out of Jude that, that later on, once they understand who the Lord is, that there's some regret that they did not convert uh, sooner. And I, I think that that probably would resonate. Certainly, uh, I, I hope that as you uh, spend your time uh, moving along, I pray uh, not not so much out of out of guilt and and condemnation, but I pray that every single one of us that we come to a place in our walk with the Lord where that we look back on some of the younger years and, and there's a little bit of regret. And we're like, man, I, I wish I would have, have put more into this thing than what I did. I wish that I would have taken it a bit more serious because here's what's happening, I think, to me and probably I hope uh, to some of you is that now you feel like you're racing the clock. Is it like you don't know how much longer you've got left, but, but it's like every, every moment, every hour that, that what is life about? It is about your relationship and your responsibility uh, to the Lord. And yet his brothers uh, looked on him and his sisters. I'm talking about his half-brothers and half-sisters there that, that looked on him and... and uh, because here's what happens sometimes is that familiarity uh, breeds contempt. And uh, some, some of the people have, have even, even said that, that sometimes that distance and, and, and that the moving away lends to the fact that there is a matter of credibility. And oftentimes uh, that, that we don't realize that greatness is right up under our noses and it's right... Near, it's just in the daily process of life that you you begin to see uh, people that they are diligent about what they are doing. But too many times we're looking off, and we're looking off at at, at the rock stars, and we're looking off at the great accomplishments, and yet not realizing that right here around us is that there are people that are living for the Lord and that they are doing their diligence. They know how to pray. They know how to remain separated from the world. There, there is a focus that is in their lives. It often goes unrecognized, and that was what uh, the Lord was having to deal with. He was despised. He was ignored there in the area around Galilee. Now, you say, why are you uh, talking about that? Well, uh, because of the response uh, that Jesus had, look down in verse 47. The Bible says there, when he heard, the, the nobleman, heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, now here is the part where that this noble man comes to this sense of a holy desperation that gets into his life. And if you've never been visited with a sense of holy desperation, I pray that at some point that you find that in your life. And here's a desperate man. What, what's his desperation? His child is dying. His kid's sick. And there's something about it that says we, we want to do something to take care of what is going on here right now. And, and, and he comes and he's pleading with the Lord and yet the response of the Lord tells us something about the fact that the Lord now is in his hometown, his home area, and so he's going to test this guy. You say, how do you know that? Well, look in verse 48. Then said Jesus unto him, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's testing him out there. He's saying, except you see me do a magic trick, except you see me do something, you're not going to really believe. And... Uh, now, 
in Matthew chapter 8, there was a Gentile. And we, that over the years, have, have, have preached and taught about this Gentile, this man that is a centurion. And, and the Lord looks at him. Now here's some homework thought. Jesus marveled twice in the scriptures. You ought to go see what he marveled about. And, and this centurion is a man that, that he knows humility. He talks about, I'm a man under authority. You don't need to come to my house. All you need to do is just speak the word. And whenever you speak that word, then I know that that matter uh, will be taken care of. And I, I would just add, and I know, I know it's not popular, uh, but, but here's the part, until we can respond and have somebody that has some authority in our life. Somebody that has veto power. Now, I know guys, they say, well, so-and-so's my pastor, but the deal is, is they, uh, they've changed pastors. They've had about five pastors in the last 15 years. And generally what happens is, is, is if that pastor vetoes, I'm talking about not control, I'm talking about vetoes, then they don't like that, so they, they don't respond to authority. They just change pastors, and sometimes people do that, and they just change churches. And I need to quit meddling around, so I'll move on. Uh, but in John chapter 4, here is again, is, is a Jew, most likely, that has seen or heard of what the Lord has done uh, here in this area. And so it is that verse 45 kind of keys us into that. It says, Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. Now, here's a part about the difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible. Because a lot of times when we're reading, we're zipping along and we're reading and we don't stop to really meditate or think. But there's something here in this verse that if you slow down, it tells us that these Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast because they were at the feast. That, that means that these Galileans had made the trek down to Jerusalem as well. They were there for the Passover. And then they begin to see Jesus moving around in Jerusalem and working and accomplishing these things. And they're like, we thought that guy was just a carpenter. We thought that was just Mary and Joseph's boy. But now there's something else that has been opened up uh, to that. And, and so, so again, if you study your Bible and you look uh, at, at what is, if you, if you just kind of, and I'm big on Thompson chains, so if you've got one, uh, turn over in the back and look at map, or it's 4308C, and uh, it says the footprints of Jesus in the year of inauguration. Jesus about 30 years old. If you see there, you see, you see some footprints. You see some of them going south. You see some of them going north. You see some of them circling around. Uh, you see their various parts way down there by the Dead Sea in the wilderness of Judea. Uh, that after that 40-day fast that the Lord was down there and he was tempted by uh, Satan. Let me just kind of bump this at you. Uh, just know this, at any time that there's a matter where that you decide that I'm going to spend some time in fasting, I'm going to spend some time in prayer, don't think that those efforts that you put into that matter, don't think there's not going to be an attack that comes to place. Because the Bible tells us that after that fast, Matthew 4, Luke 4, is that after that fast, the Bible tells us that he was hungry and the devil attacked him. 
Now, sometimes Pentecostals, not y'all, maybe nobody, maybe just me, is I think, man, if I just notch up some fasting and some prayer, that's going to give me the upper hand. We, we bought into that. I, not we, I at times have bought into that. It's like, okay, I'm going to spend some time fasting. I'm going to spend some extra time in prayer. I'm going to spend some time withdrawing, moving away from things that distract and hinder uh, what I feel like the Lord wants to do in my life. But we fail to remember this, that there's somebody else watching what you're doing. And, and when you get involved in those particular things, don't think that the enemy's just going to roll over and just let you go just hog wild. So you're dealing with three different areas. You're dealing with the world, and so there are distractions that you can find in the world. What does that look like? Matthew 13, cares of life, deceitfulness of riches. So you're going to have the world to contend with. You're going to have your flesh to contend with. What does that look like? 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, things that appeal to your flesh. And then thirdly, you're going to find the devil that's going to, to, you're going to have to deal with that. Now you say, well, where do you find uh, those three enemies? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is where that you find that those are the three battlegrounds that you're going to have to contend and you're going to have to deal with. And generally speaking, when you start making forward progress, now sometimes we want to blame things on the devil when it's not the devil. It's our flesh. And uh, I, I, well, I curse that devil. That's, that's a devil against me. Like, no, I don't think that's the devil against you. That, that's your flesh that's trying to get the upper hand there in your life. And what you have to do is you have to realize that I'm going to deal with the flesh. So how do you deal with the flesh? You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow the Lord. Sometimes that means, as, as the apostle says, that we have to forbear some things. It, you just have to, Brother Patterson would say, say, I nearly about chewed off my tongue. Y'all ever done that? I'm getting to that point. I'm starting to learn that. It's taking me a while to get there. Uh, but I think all of us probably would have to say there, there's times where you, you, have to, you have to say, okay, I probably need to take James 3 at heart and realize that, and so, so you see what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the battle of the world and the flesh and the devil. And so Jesus was there in that wilderness. But, but again, that was a sidetrack. But, but in that map, just look at what is taking place, that the movements of the Lord, you see him there. And if you've got that, you notice that just there, just to the west of the Jordan River, he's going down uh, from Capernaum to Jerusalem. And then he gets down to Jerusalem, early Judean ministry. Then he starts moving back up there. And you see the picture there, the water uh, changed to wine. And then right above that, you see him there at Cana where the, the nobleman's son uh, is healed in that uh, place. Now, so all of these people from Galilee, they had made the trek down and they had go, gone down uh, to Jerusalem and they had seen the Lord in action uh, down there and so then he comes back and this nobleman suddenly realizes the Lord can help me but it's, but it's a point of desperation that has brought him to that particular place now you let your child get sick and you're going to be doing things and, and especially if you're connected to, to the medical community and there's been times where that, that in, in our family that there have been uh, matters about where that our children were sick and because we had connections, we started calling folks. My wife would call, I would call, and sometimes knowing people that you can get the, you can get the 
track greens pretty well. And so if you don't have it, uh, you call them and they say, well, we can't get to you until uh, two weeks from now. But if you know somebody, oh yeah, come on in this afternoon. We can, we can work you in. And, and, and so if, you're, if you got a child that's sick, you're going to do everything you can, and that is where this man was at. But, but look at his response. In verse 48, the Lord, uh, he said, my son, heal my son, he's at the point of death. And then the Lord said to him, except you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And the nobleman could have been very easily offended and turned around and stormed off and left. But he realized, I need, I need to, and so what does he do? Verse 49, he said, sir, he says, please come down here before my child dies. Please. And what did Jesus do? Jesus says unto him, go, go your way, your son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. I, I'm just going to uh, tell you that, that there are times where that love uh, comes to trouble or to anguish, and there, there is a passion that gets involved in that. There's a feeling that begins to be involved in that. What, what was the feeling? Well, you, you see it. There in verse 47, he said, please, my son is at the point of death. You, you see that in, in Jairus and uh, his daughter, that the Lord Jairus comes along and the Lord's busy. The Lord's moving, huge crowd. And, and Jairus is getting antsy, like y'all stop, move out of the way and let the Lord get in here and take care of this need. You remember there was an interruption that took place whenever the Lord was uh, in the process of healing Jairus' daughter. And, and there was a woman, the Bible says, that had an issue of blood. She's inching up. She's moving along. She's doing everything she can because in her mind, she says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'm going to be healed. Well, Jairus don't have time for that. Jesus, just come in here and you, you've got to get to my house. My daughter is going to die. Uh, you see, that was an, with another character. And here's something else. A little book sometimes uh, that, that you ought to track down is uh, Alexander White. Uh, W-H-Y-T-E. Can't believe I'm telling y'all this. This is some insider secrets. You study those books and read those things and that opens your mind up. But there, are, there is a book that he wrote, Old Testament, New Testament characters. And in the last half of that book, uh, there are various characters that Alexander White keys into that he talks about that they were involved in the life of, of the Lord. And so when you start looking at these characters, you start realizing that Jarius, a man's got a sick daughter, nobleman's got a sick son. And then you see this Canaanite woman, Matthew chapter 22, or Matthew chapter 15, and verse 22. Here, here's what her cry is Lord, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed. Now again, think about this matter, this Canaanite woman who has roots that's locked down into the occult. You say, how do you know that? Go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18. It said the Lord cautioned Moses. He said, now look, when you get over into the land of Canaan, you're going to find people fooling with voodoo and witchcraft. You're going to find people involved in all this stuff. When you get over there, you get rid of that stuff. You move it away. And yet, here in Matthew 15, this Canaanite mother, she comes along and she's like, hey, my daughter is demon-possessed. 
And it very well could be because she was Canaanite that there were some things that she was doing that opened up gateways. Ephesians 4, 27, neither give place to the devil. That she done some things that opened her child up to these particular spiritual influences and now that it's gotten out of control, she comes along and there's a desperation. Hey, 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 Jesus, have mercy on me. Come and heal my daughter grievously vexed with the devil. And what I'm, you say, I'm talking about desperation. You remember that father there at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration? Lord, I brought my son to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now I'm approaching you. That's where you get to the part where they question how come we couldn't do this and the Lord gives them that matter except... Uh, how is it um, uh, this goeth not but by prayer and, and fasting? He talks about that there's matters where that, that just the devotion. I, I'm just going to throw this out here for y'all. Okay, You have no idea what God can do in your life if you're willing to say this kind goeth not out but by prayer and by fasting. You say, oh, that's, that's, too, that's, that's too overboard. That's probably the, probably the reason that most churches are in the state that they're in these days is because we don't want to be too intense. We don't want to be too overboard. We don't want to be too weird and odd and different. Oh, man, you read that Bible too much. Oh, you're in church too much. Oh, you only listen to a certain kind of music. Oh, you certain you only spend your time in a certain amount of weight. What, what are you getting at? You're getting at a point where you believe what the Bible has to say, that this kind goeth not out but by prayer and by fasting. I'm just going to say this. You start choking down your flesh. Trust me, the Lord will open up things in your life that you will see and things will take place there. But what is it a matter? It's killing Esau. We're going to kill him in 2024. Getting Esau out. I'm cutting him out in my life and I'm going to preach at y'all and I'm going to try to get him out of your life as well. There's a struggle that goes on in the womb. He's a, he's a heel grabber. I hate heel. I, well, no, I don't hate heel grabbers. Jacob was the heel grabber, okay? There's a desperation in Jacob that says, I, I, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get the upper hold, Esau. And I'm, I'm getting the upper hold in this particular matter, but, but in our flesh. That's why Romans 6 is so important that you mortify your flesh is because Esau wants to get the upper hand or if you can even go back and say that Ishmael wants to get the upper hand in Isaac's life and yet this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting so what does passion and persistence in prayer what, what does it look like well I'm going to just tell you this there, there are areas that whenever you start looking at, at passion and perseverance in prayer and, and, and what does it do? It affects things. It affects your behavior. Uh, it, 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 will, it will cause, it will be less of the world and more of God. That's one thing it does. It affects your behavior. Now, there's a lot of times that we can say, well, I'll tell you what, it, why don't you fix that person and that whatever and so-and-so and so-and-so forth? I'll just tell you what, sometimes it's just not that easy. It's just not, I mean, if they're living under your roof and they're eating your food and they're burning up your electricity and you're tied and you're dawn dishwashing and the dryer and all that, yeah, I like this cool house in the summertime. If they're under your roof, yeah, you just tell those little rascals, hey, you're going to do what I'm telling you to do. Quit sucking up my air conditioning. Amen. Quit eating all my powdered donuts. Uh, my little grandchildren 
Well, the little girls, well, they love those powder donuts. Here a few weeks ago, Tab, my little Reagan, she's sneaking around, and she got the potters. Can I have some powder donuts? Yeah, yeah, Reagan, you can have some powder donuts. And I didn't know it, but she, she got, she got, I said, you have two of them. And uh, she got two little powdered donuts. And next thing I know, <laughs> I go in there and look, and she's got them in another room, and the whole bag is gone. <laughs> I'm like, that little girl is a little girl after my own heart. <laughs> okay, but, but if they're, they're there under your house, and they're eating your donuts, then you can pretty well, sometimes you get into relationships in life that it's difficult to control somebody else's behavior. So what do you do? Move toward a place of prayer. And then that controls your behavior. I'll tell you what else passion in your prayer does is inner state of your soul. Uh, it becomes more concerned with spiritual advancement than with backsliding and just staying in neutral. And then the third thing that passion does in our prayers, it cultivates spiritual virtues. Why is that? It's because what we do is it moves us toward a place of unceasing prayer. Is that in the car, you're, you're driving, and all of a sudden, tears moving. Now, I know y'all think I'm weird and whatever. That's fine. Um... I was out the other night, and uh, Teresa sent, I sent, I sent her a text. I said, I'm fixing to go run. She said, it's raining. I sent her a text back. I said, champions run in the rain. I said, the goats get out, and they go. You know what a goat is? Greatest of all time. But I didn't run in the rain, but it got late and it got dark. And so I, I ended up waiting until late. It was about 10 o'clock or so. And, and uh, you can't run at Westgate on those trails because there's no light. And it's, 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 it's for my age, it's waiting on a twisted ankle or for me to break my hip and lay out there until somebody finds me the next morning. And so I went to James Oaks park and I put in, I got several playlists and I put one of them in and I'm down on the back side and I'm the only one there. Get down on the back side and I'm listening, I'm on a charity gale kick right now, okay? And that song that I butchered last Sunday when I was trying to sing it. Uh, she got in kicked in on that song about just being glad. And I'm running I, and I can't help it. I'm crying and uh I thought, you know what, just, just I'm, and I did. I had my phone in one hand, and I just, my hands are up. The presence of God down there on that trail with me while I'm running. And you're huffing and puffing, and you're out of breath, and you're, but just inside, just gratitude. What, what, what is that? That's, that's passion. That's feeling. That's perseverance in prayer that, that I can pray in other places and just despite being locked into a sanctuary, I can pray in a car, I can, I can pray at a kitchen table, I can pray when I'm running, I can pray when I'm occasionally riding a bike, I can feel the presence of the Lord and, and here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to lock you out of places where there's no communion that you have with the Lord because if there is no communion and there's no fellowship that you have with the Lord, then he effectively cuts off what he wants to do in your life. And so it was that this man, that desperation that's in that man's life, he's like, you, 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 I've got to get, I've got to get you, Lord, in a place where you can heal my son. Now, what would happen to us here this morning, musicians and singers, if y'all want to come on? What, what if, for the rest of this service, while we're singing, while we're praying, while Brother Patterson is preaching, 
and in, in the altar service, what, what if there, there could be something inside of your heart and your spirit that, that you would say, God, I, I, want, I want there to be a purity in my heart and, and passion in prayer. First Kings 18, and uh, I preach a whole sermon on this, but, but here is Elijah, and he cuts off the water. He turns it off. See, it's not going to rain for it's not going to rain for three years. And then the Bible says that he prayed, nothing happened. And he got back down and he prayed again, and nothing. He keeps sending that servant. Go look. Go look. Go look. Go look. I think too often we give up after maybe the second or third time. But he kept praying. James 5. Elias, a man subject to like passions. That means discouragement. That means depression. That means when you got the greedy galloping gimmies. That means when apathy kicks into your heart. But what does the Bible say? He kept praying. Go, go see. Go see. And you know the story. Finally the guy comes back. He says, Elijah. He said, I, I see a cloud. It's not much. It's about the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, that's enough. And he tells Ahab, it's fixing to rain. And he takes off and he starts running. Why, why was that? Lord, please, my son is about to die. And if you don't come down, please, Lord, come down to my house before he dies. That's what I'm teaching and preaching about here this morning. You've got it there in front of you. But if you can just get that passion, hunger and desire, feel the presence of the Lord here this morning. Don't, don't miss this, church. I want you to stand up. Why don't we just lift our hands to the Lord right now? Why don't you just ask the Lord to work and to minister, to reach into your heart. Lord, I'm thankful for your presence. Thankful, Lord, for your word. I pray, God, right now, Lord, that while we're gathered here in this place, oh, Jesus, that you would work and touch and minister, Lord, in our lives. Lord, we're here with a feeling. We're here, Lord, with a desperation. I pray, Lord, today that just like you met the need for that nobleman, Lord, that you would meet needs here today in this service. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.